everybody. So this is a really fun episode of the Talking Disney Classics podcast with me in Stanford. We had our friend Darren on from Nostalgicast, but there's a little bit of uh, issues with some of the audio. I tried to fix it as best I could, uh, but I still think it's a good episode. And I think you'll enjoy it. So Sorry about that, but uh, I hope you enjoy it. Everybody, welcome to the Talking Disney Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the Disney canon and we talk to creators about their canon rankings. We finished doing our coverage of the canon last year. And so we've been having creators on, content creators and uh, friends on to talk about their ranking of the Disney canon. It's so much fun. I love doing it. And today we have my podcaster friend Darren from Nostalgicast on. And uh, I'm so excited because we have been friends on Twitter for years and we're actually years. communicating. This is so exciting. <laughs> yeah, without having to type. It's like I it's like I can hear my voice and I can hear your voice and it's like yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's Stanford's here too, right? Use yes. HMDC first. <laughs> Ah oh, no! I'm so happy. <laughs> I follow I follow Darren on Twitter, and so I'm just so excited to get to know you better, Darren. And and uh, this is just going to be so fun to talk with you about. This yeah, stuff. yeah. You guys are just so positive when and, you know the podcast that both of you do, and especially talking Disney. Well, not especially, but talking Disney as well. Like you guys are just so positive, and so it's it's a again, it's an honor being a part of this. As as long as Rachel and I have been friends, it's yeah. it's finally getting around to it. It's great. Yes. All right. Uh, yeah, I really enjoy getting to do this. And, you know, when we when I first thought of this as an idea to continue on, because I just love chatting with Stanford about Disney movies, I was like, <laughs> what could we cover? And this idea of bringing people on, talking about their rankings, I thought, oh, won't that get kind of boring? Because everybody will have here, no, will know our rankings. But it's been very interesting. Now we've done, like, what, seven or eight of them at this point? Yeah. and. Each one has has been a little bit different. It's the conversation's been different. been different. It's been great. Yeah, yeah. I've enjoyed it a lot yeah. too. It's mm-hmm. been listening to it, so I can only imagine what yeah. it's like being part of <laughs> chatting. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about yourself. How you started? Uh, how you got involved in the podcast and what you guys do and your okay. history with Disney, uh, Disney Animation. Okay. Yeah. Again, my name is Darren Lumberg. We run the uh, my uh, childhood friend and I, uh, Johnny. We run the sorry Nostalgia Cast podcast, um, where we basically take movies, you know, from our childhoods. You know how you watch movies when you're a kid, and you kind of you remember liking them, and then you don't see them for maybe ten, twenty years, and then you find them in like uh, the the metaphor we like to use is you find it in like a three seventy four or five dollar Walmart bin, and so you're like, yeah, I'll check that out. So you buy it. It's the cost of what used to be a rental. I believe people remember that you could actually rent movies from video stores and so you bring it home you watch it and either they 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 you know they stand the test of time or like oh boy why did i like this you know it's just one of those <laughs> things that doesn't quite matter so just a fun idea i'm speaking of your other uh podcasts when you do these rankings i know you did it with uh, sean chandler it was just interesting listening to him talk because he says he got like start like the thing that kicked him off was the uh ghostbusters 2016 like he did a video oh, do, like a YouTuber. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what I did is I basically, so I've always been into movies. Like I always talk about how my mom, I'm an only kid. And so my mom raised me. And so as a babysitter, she would just leave me. She would rent maybe two movies because she was a Tupperware dealer, all these little odd jobs she tried to do. So she was away for most of the time. But if she could leave me for four hours with a couple of movies, I would be fine. I would just sit there and watch Mm -hmm. movies and absorb. And so that's, you know, I've always wanted to talk about movies. I, I studied to be a film critic in college. I attended U, the U of U for a little bit. And then around the time that Pirates of the Caribbean, 
what was the second one? Dead Man's Chess came out. Um, I yeah. realized that people hate critics. And so <laughs> I, I decided that maybe I didn't want to be a movie critic. Um, but so a little bit after that, I started my own blog. It's, it was called uh, Finding the Wrong Words. It got away from me, but I used to write a bunch of articles and do different series and things like that. Um, and so one of the projects that I did was uh, I called it Disney Animated 50. Again, it's weird because Stanford, you said that you did your your Canon like watch like when Tangled came out around. Yeah, the time I did. That, that right? was the first time I did my the, a full Canon watch. Right. Yeah. So, so when the Tangled the fiftieth, yeah, the fiftieth feature. Yeah, it was great. So by the time they hit that, I thought it was a milestone. So I thought, well, I'll do my own project. Mm-hmm. And so I did Disney Animated Fifty on finding the wrong words. Oh, that's so cool. I watched yeah. all that. and again, I, I talk about it in the first article, the first piece where I, I reviewed Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. But I've I've never been like a big Disney person. I, I just, I think I was too, around the time I started really liking movies, I think I was too old for Disney. And so all I ever really knew of them was that little batch from the 60s to the 70s where their animation You can never was be a... too old for Disney. Right? I know, right? So, yeah, but I, I just always thought that was not my thing. So, yeah, so, you know, everybody has their stupid faces, and so that was mine. But, you know, going back and watching all the movies, I just, you know, it was, it was fun, like, oh, these movies are actually great, or some aren't so great, or that kind of thing. And then, yeah. like, like I was talking about with, you know, with Sean, like, around the time ghost rushes came out that was the time i thought about starting to do a podcast and that was the thing that kicked it into gear because i think nostalgia can either be a killer or it can be something that really helps your opinion of movies and i think the nostalgia around ghostbusters was just just so toxic just the way that everybody got death threats uh Leslie yeah. Jones, especially. And so that kind of kicked it in my brain and uh, about starting a podcast. So that's where the idea came from. But um, again, it's just interesting. And then Rachel, you started your first can watch with Big Hero 6, I believe, right? Yeah, well, it was that year. Uh, my original website was 54 Disney reviews, because the idea was I was just gonna, that was all I was gonna do. Yeah. I was just gonna review the 54 films, because I had a torn ACL in my leg, and <laughs> I couldn't really move very much. And so I needed something to do. And I just turned out I really enjoyed writing about films. And so I just decided to kind of keep at it. And, uh, and then I ended up st- sort of starting the youtube channel originally my youtube channel was more for unboxings because i really enjoyed doing that right um and then i started i did the how i met your mother (laughs) (laughs) um and then i uh i did some dvd reviews that was some of the first ones that i did and then i just kept doing more and wanting to learn and that's that's one of the sort of unheralded blessings of doing a podcast is just all of the things that you learn as you go. I mean, I feel like as an adult, once you're finished school, your schooling, it's harder to kind of learn things. Yeah. Um, you, you, you have your sort of store of knowledge. Uh, but I don't know, cause you're just not at least I, maybe it's something with me that I kind of like need a class or a project to kind of really learn that's how my brain learns best. I'm not someone who could just be like, I'm reading all these nonfiction books to learn all this stuff. Um, (laughs) And so uh, having the podcast, I've learned so much. I mean, about Adobe Premiere and editing and Photoshop and creating, yeah, creating graphics, creating thumbnails. Like, and I still have a long way to go. I'm not, 
uh, I have, I have more to learn, but I think that's one of the hidden kind of blessings of, of, you know, not, and especially learning how to write better, uh, learning how to edit my own writing better. Um, I think that that's one of the exciting things about doing what I do. Well, maybe I should start doing that because I just assume everything I say and everything that I write is just perfect. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> probably. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> well, what do you think that you learn from watching the complete Disney canon every film? Well, number one, I learned to get over myself. Um, animation is a very, you know, it's a very, the medium of it is there's so much to do and so much to express. And um, Disney, especially, I think you mentioned this in one of your other episodes too, is just, it's just a learning curve. And it's like, you learn everything about the world at the time and how everything was functioning. Just from like the, the Disney animated 50 perspective, it's great seeing like Walt get an idea and then try to put that in, into words and just the stages that he went through, like doing Snow White and Pinocchio and Fantasia and having it like bankrupt him and not make as much money mm-hmm. as he did. And then having to back off and try to, well, before that, obviously the war hit and he had to do all the package movies. And so just to see him try and stay relevant with all his shorts and things like that. And then when he came back, he was, he came back with Cinderella and just, he had to cut things back and couldn't spend as much because he realized he was losing a lot of money. And then obviously he kept trying to figure out how to work the box office and the public and there are ups and downs. And obviously when he started going out, they started using the Xeroxing and there was that whole, you know, the waning period from the sixties to the seventies and then the Renaissance and the after, you know, so it's just, it's interesting watching the stages and it's interesting watching them figure everything out. You know what I mean? And how to, how to build their legacy, so to speak. And so it was just, that was the biggest, I wish I still had it in my brain. Cause like you're talking about, I think, there was a point where I watched movies and absorbed movies. And then I think I just stopped. Like my brain was like, I can't handle it anymore. So I could only remember what you remember and everything now is just, it's going to be hard trying to, to, to keep everything mm-hmm. fresh. And so I wish I could go back to when I finished, like Tangled was the last review that I wrote and just being able to look back and go, I know this whole journey. I know all the little techno- the techniques that they tried and the new technologies that they built. And it was just so fascinating. It's in there mm-hmm. somewhere. And, and, Again, doing this for your podcast, being able to go back and read my notes and read my reviews. Oh, yeah, I did write that. Or, oh, yeah, they did write that. And find out a bunch of fascinating little tidbits about the movies and just, you know, the journey that they took and the journey that we took as, as viewers. But, you know, the biggest thing of all is going from somebody who didn't really like Disney to someone who is just obsessed with it. And, mm-hmm. again, it's part of every yeah. other legacy. It's just it's just a big part of every other movie or every other genre or mm-hmm. every other medium that's been made. It's just fascinating looking back on mm-hmm. that. Now, what do you think about that, Stanford, about watching the canon? Oh, I really love what Darren had to say about it. For me, it was it was a re- it was a very much a nostalgic thing, just revisiting because yeah. I loved Disney movies so much as a child, but I never really stopped loving them. You know, so that's uh, I. I just enjoyed just the, the you know the whole experience of of rewatching all the movies and then also completing like watching movies that I had never seen or had only seen parts of for example like with the package films you know oh. I've seen some of those shorts uh, you know in other in other settings or maybe like on the Wonderful World of Disney or something you know on TV but uh, being able to understand it better in context has has been uh, has been fascinating and rewarding. And then also just being able to look at it through, uh, I guess, more mature eyes. Yeah. 
Not that I really feel like mature. <laughs> we know all Stanford. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, just because yeah. I, I feel like it's a little more, hopefully a little more educated and, and uh, you know, understanding more of, of film history and, yeah. and, you know, filmmaking techniques and whatnot. And really just for the most part, just being in awe of these films. I think for the most part, the quality is so amazing within the you know within the canon that uh, uh it's just you know it's they're just just my one of my favorite just sets of films right well it's one movie. thing to watch the movies and it's another thing to know the techniques and the the hard work that went into them so yeah. it like enhances yeah. your appreciation of them exactly yeah did you have a lot darren when you uh first watched when you did your watch that you hadn't seen Oh yeah, a ton. Like I said, I, mm-hmm. I haven't seen like I know I'd seen snippets of everything. I I and again, I just don't know if like my mom showed them to me or or family member showed and it just didn't absorb them the way that I needed to. Again, that's why I think I was just maybe too mm-hmm. old to appreciate them and then I had to get to a point where I could I was old enough. I don't know if that makes any sense yeah. that I could appreciate them that uh, way. It's yeah, just yeah. there's and I'm not saying I never liked cartoons because i remember my mom waking me up saturday morning to watch like the old hanna-barbera godzilla cartoon or transformers or voltron or gi joe and all the all the things that uh, you know nerdy boys watch but it's <laughs> it's different from watching those versus watching something that is a little more artistic i guess you could say <laughs> you know uh, other than yeah. just uh not i don't want to say cheap but just like a, a small comparatively a small experience on a Saturday car, you know, morning versus going to a movie theater to watch and be absorbed in the world of animation. Yeah. I hadn't seen most of the package films when I did my 54 watch. Hmm. Uh, I I'd seen again. Yeah. Segments, like you said, uh, I'd seen Peter and the wolf before I'd seen uh, Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Mm-hmm. That one I had, I had seen both of those. Uh, I don't know a few others, but uh, but then I also I had never seen the Black Cauldron that had been a yeah. <laughs> on my uh, on my blind spot uh, list for a long time. Uh, I had never seen Home on the Range. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you're regretting that now. You know, <laughs> we have blind spots, and I you know this maybe seventy percent of this whole canon was a blind spot. I know there are some mm-hmm. movies to look at now, and I wish they were still a blind spot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I don't know, but yeah, it's just I don't know. You're missing out by not not absorbing them yeah. all and knowing everything that went into them. I think. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's dive in to your top ten ranking, and then we'll do your bottom five. Okay. And maybe if we have time, we'll do a few other uh, placements. But what is your number ten? Okay, so my number ten, I've got the Little Mermaid. Um, Little Mermaid. <laughs> again, I think you know it's one of those things where you look at like being a nineties uh, movie fan and watching everything that decade, Quentin Tarantino like came right out of the gate with Pulp Fiction. That was the movie that I, that kind of got me addicted to Tarantino, but mm-hmm. he's made, he's, so that's his, that's his big movie, but I think he's made better, you know, more quality movies since then. And it's, you know, it's weird comparing Disney to, to little mermaid or Quentin Tarantino to little mermaid here, but that, <laughs> it's kind of the same thing. Little mermaid was my entry way into the Disney canon and I'll let you know I'll tell you about that in just a sec but I do think they've made like better movies since then but as far as like the movie that got me into Disney and the movie that'll always have a special place in my heart is The Little Mermaid because like I said I wasn't 
when it came out in 89, I was big on Batman. I was big on uh, baseball, that kind of stuff. And so I, I wasn't interested in Little Mermaid at all. So visiting my family in New York like the next year, because I think it came out after the uh, like eight months later. The interesting factoid about the video is that they didn't Disney didn't want to release it because they thought it was going to cut into their profits. But it ended up becoming the biggest seller of 1990. And then sold over 7 million copies in the first 30 days. And so uh, that was a big thing when it came out in video. And I, I know that my aunt had a copy and I just put it in. Just, oh, what is this little mermaid? Let's see what this is. And, you know, it was fine. I think like I didn't expect it because the animation was a little more eye poppy. The soundtrack was a little mm -hmm. more lush. And so I didn't, ex I thought that was, well, this is interesting. And then the story I like to tell is at the end when Eric like commandeers that sunken, uh, uh, the, the ship and he steers the, like the, the mast or whatever into Ursula's stomach and kills her. And I thought, whoa, like violence in a cartoon about a little, about a mermaid girl, like this is awesome. And so, <laughs> you know, that, that was the, that was the opening the door of it. But other than the violence at the end, which is still cool. Uh, you know, it's just the Mencken Ashman score is so, so different from what you, you'd expect, you know, being the kid that I was, it was so far apart from anything I expected. It was good from the outset. And so it just wins you over just from the very first frames, I think. It really does. I love Fathoms Below, yeah. the whole introduction and uh, it, it just draws you in immediately. And I, they supposedly animated a million bubbles uh, which that attention to detail, if you look at something by hand, right? yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. This is the last hand, hand. Uh, cell uh, animated uh, film that they did. But if you, if you just compare it to me to something like Aquaman, which is supposed to be under the water, it never really <laughs> felt like it was under the water to me, even though it looks, it has some strong visuals. I, I just still didn't feel like these are people in the water because there were no bubbles. And so I don't know. I, I just feel like that attention to detail makes such a yeah. difference. Uh, what uh, I have it at number two, I go back and forth between beauty and the beast. I think it's actually probably a better movie, but, mm. I, and, and they both have huge nostalgia for me, both beauty yeah. and the beast and the little mermaid. Right. Uh, but the little mermaid was kind of the first movie I ever loved. So it, <laughs> I go back and forth between the, they're basically a tie. They're that's my co-favorites. That's a good one to have as your top, like your top or your second. So I love the music in both so much. And uh, I, I know a lot of people don't like Ariel. I like Ariel as a character. I think she's got some spunk in her, which I appreciate. That's weird. Uh, why but... do they like Ariel? I think you've said that before, but why? Yeah, I, people think she's bratty, uh, but <laughs> she's a teenager, right? teenager and her father isn't exactly helpful in the situation i mean <laughs> well he's, he's the father of a teenager that's how he's gonna treat yeah. her so uh, that's weird that's that's a weird yeah. criticism of it because i just think it's for for mermaid people it's very naturalistic yeah. <laughs> i also think that a lot of people do compare her to bell because bell is literally the exact opposite bell yeah. gives up everything for her father right. she she gives up her freedom for her father. She's, uh, and so, it, but I enjoy both. I, I do. I don't know. What do you think, Stanford? Oh, I love The Little Mermaid. I have it at, at number 12, but you know, like my top 15 or top 20, they're all kind of like number one. By yeah. the, you know, it's really hard. <laughs> Not to say that, oh, it's so hard to rank, that that's an excuse, but just like, it's hard to rank, you know? I mean, no, it is. It's something that you really, that you really love. 
But it's hard to pick among favorites. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think the Little Mermaid is just terrific. I think, I think that it's it's Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, both with the music and with mm-hmm. uh, the story work that they, hey, you know, brought to the film or, yeah. or helped helped with in, in the mm-hmm. making of the film because it's so Disney yet it's so uh, fresh and yeah. and and original and and joyous and wonderful and emotional and uh, I just remember being absolutely blown away when I saw it mm-hmm. in the theater. I can, well, I the thing is, the thing is, when you watch it, like if you watch them in order, I know you guys have done like different uh, ways of watching it, but like if you, you know Disney trying to figure themselves out, and what was the movie that came before this? It was Oliver and Company, Oliver right? And is that Company. the movie? Yeah. And ugh, like we'll get to that one. But seriously, <laughs> it's like when Little Mermaid hits, it's like, what is this? Like this is a like yeah. an evolutionary step. How did we go from that movie to this movie within the first few frames? And the movie doesn't let up. Again, I don't have Little Mermaid. It's like, it's not my top, but it's, I couldn't not put it in my top 10 somehow yeah. just because it's such a kick in the teeth to anything mm-hmm. that was being yeah. done at the time, stateside anyway. Yep. Yeah. And Jodie Benson, oh, I just love her so much. <laughs> Best voice ever. Yeah. So, all right. Well, what do you have at number nine? Okay, well, number nine, it surprised me. Again, going through, I'm not really a good, a big rankings person, so, like, you you guys owe me big time for doing this. <laughs> it it kind of gives me, like you said, it's an existential nightmare because I can put together this list of 60 movies. If I go back to, and again, what I did for the blog is I, I graded them. So I have them, I gave them letter grades, so that was yeah. a little easier. If I hadn't have given these grades, it would have been a nightmare because it would have ticked me. I would have said, Rachel, we need to postpone this by like three months because I'm not going to have my list. Right now. <laughs> but like, yeah. I, could, I could put this list together and tomorrow it'll be different because I'm going to be different. Yeah. That's why I have a hard time with this list. But what surprised <laughs> me is like going through and seeing how many movies I give A's, seeing how many movies I give B's, seeing the one movie I gave an F. You know, it's just this weird way of looking at it. And I was surprised because Moana, I had, I gave an A minus technically. I, I didn't review it, but like going back and look at that, A minus, that's a good grade for Moana. So that automatically mm-hmm. got it, like boosted it above Little Mermaid. And I thought, wow, like Moana is that high on my list? Because if you, if you, when we get done with this list here, you'll see that most of my movies are from like the first 10, 15 years or 10, 20 years of them being in business because I just got addicted. I'm going to be a, a huge on the history of it. That's always going to tie in with my view, with my mm-hmm. how I view the movie itself. So it was weird seeing Moana be one of the newer ones, be that high on my list. But again, it's it's like The Little Mermaid. It's like so we, you know, Tangled was great. Don't get me wrong. But then you had like, and it, they kind of settled in a groove. You have Frozen that became a big hit. But Moana is like a breath of fresh air with the Lin Manuel Miranda score and, and the songs. Right? It's just a step above what I've been used to hearing. And so, and then the story, you know, Lindsay Ellis does a video where she says that uh, Moana is basically a remake of Pocahontas. And if you look at a lot of the story beats, a lot of them are exactly the same, but it's done in a way that's not cloying. It's done in a way that's not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Trying to, yeah. to overdo it. Moana is just a nice, natural, um, I, I feel bad. What's the actress's name who oh, plays Moana? she is a doll she is amazing, amazing. Like her voice work i'm in love with her voice and so just that yeah. but you know you know i have Dwayne the, the rock johnson in there singing a song doing fine and all this stuff and just the story of you know when she's able to just talk 
to uh, you know, and be able to, to reach the heart of the sea and be able to get to her that way. It's just you know, it's it's an enriching, empowering movie without it telling you that it's trying to be empowering. I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, totally. So that Moana is your number nine then. Yeah, Moana's number nine, okay. which again surprised me. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Mo- Moana I have at uh, 11, so pretty high too for me. I really enjoy it. I I think the ending's really emotional. I I think that it almost feels, I, I compared it in my review to the Odyssey actually, because in mm. the way that in the Odyssey, they have all these different kind of stops along the way yeah. that, you know, challenge, challenge them. I kind of feel like this is sort of the same way with like the coconut pirates. And then there's the, the, there's the shiny mm-hmm. crab and there's, you know, sort of just all these little obstacles along the way to the, to the end result. Yeah. That's a good tie in. That's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where do you have Moana at Stanford? I have Moana at 25 and that's not a slam to Moana. Cause it's, it's a movie that I, I, I love. I, I think that that uh ron and john you know that uh john musker and ron clemens got that they got to make another kind of their final movie at disney and and, and have it be such a home run yeah i think both you know artistically and 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 uh financially etc but just just but they just made such a good movie uh, it's such a great story the animation is spectacular I think I love the music, and I, I thought that what they oh, yeah. how they chose to make it was so interesting, bringing in the, you know the three different song writers. Um, anyway, I terrific movie. I absolutely love it. Yeah, it's a good uh, looking back and a looking forward at the same time. It seems. Mm-hmm. Like. Yeah. Are you a fan of Rachel's reviews? Do you look forward to Family Movie Night, female film critics panels, or the Talking Disney podcast? If so, please consider supporting the podcast by becoming a patron. As a patron, you get to access monthly events such as the watch-alongs and Q&As, where you get to talk to stars and find out the behind the scenes of the movie making industry. And you can pick what I review for Family Movie Night or even become a guest on the podcast. Podcasts and YouTube channels are expensive and I really, really could use your help. I would so appreciate it. You also get to be a member of the Facebook group where we talk about all the films that we're seeing and we have so much fun. Go to patreon.com slash hallmarkies and select one of the Rachel's fan tiers. That's patreon.com slash hallmarkies. So what do you have at eight? So at eight, I've got Aladdin. Um, again, it's weird that five of my movies are from the, the first 20 years and three of my movies are from the Renaissance and two of my, <laughs> my movies are just from the last 12 years. But Aladdin is, I, I don't, I don't want to sound like I'm nitpicking it. I think Aladdin is, is great. It's got the Howard Ashman, Alan Menken score, at least, uh, or songs, at least half of them. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I don't think Tim Rice is as good as a l- lyricist as uh, Howard Ashman. I think Howard Ashman has a magic and Tim Rice is good, but he like talking about every moment, red letter, you know, there's just some odd lyric choices that don't quite. And so kids are kind of, well, what does red letter mean? Whereas Howard Ashman would not, you know, you wouldn't think that way if you're a kid about it. They're understandable and they're magic from the very beginning. So Aladdin is, is fine. I like Aladdin. I like Jasmine. I like all the characters. I just think that the, the story is fine. The music is fine. But as soon as Robin Williams shows up, that's what makes the movie the movie. I don't know if that makes any sense. He, he, Robin Williams shows up and he takes that thing to a new level. I don't know how Eric Goldberg kept up with him for that. The way that he's able to keep up with him for the animation 
It's mind boggling. I don't know how he did that. Like it's yeah. his work is just as good as Robin Williams's voice work. Being able to keep up with that, and I think it's just funny because Robin Williams is so good that when he settles down and tries to do plot stuff, you know, and they have the argument about like you know, set me free now and, and all that stuff, it kind of it doesn't have the same manic energy because you can tell it's Williams trying to, Oh, I've, I've got to settle down and we got to do the plot now. I can't do my normal thing. So I, I don't know. I just, Aladdin is great. I just think that once Williams shows up, that's what it, it takes it from being a good movie to a great movie. I don't know if that mm-hmm. makes any sense. It's just, yeah, I think it makes sense. I, what is red letter with that? Yeah. I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't red letter. I, in the movie. I, yeah, it's a new movie. It's during uh, a whole new it's, world. It's a whole new world. Uh, in the lyrics, you know, every moment red letter. Uh, yeah, I, can't remember, uh, I never uh, even noticed that. But <laughs> it's it's really that it really is a good point, Darren. I, I I think definitely Howard Ashman had a real gift, you know, for that. Yeah. And Tim Rice, of course, has the resume and and the experience, and he can do right work too. But there's yeah, there was just something. But I think extra special about the Howard Ashman um, songs. Well, and you can tell because every time they do a new version of Beauty and the Beast without his input and without his songs, to me, I think something gets lost a little bit because it doesn't, yeah. it's, it's not up to the same, not quite to the same level. Well, that's so, why I think the Aladdin Broadway musical is better than a lot of the other Disney Broadway musicals because they had some leftover songs from Howard yeah. Ashman. Proud right. of your proud of your boy particularly right and it's just it's just different uh most of the time especially in uh the little mermaid adaptation uh that the the new songs i'm just like yeah <laughs> the <Afro-Rock. laughs> right they don't I quite try spirits the same way right <laughs> I'm making no, but it's a no for me <laughs> yeah yeah um, all right what is your number seven so i've got tangled as my number seven Mm-hmm. Um, again, doing it as the watching Disney try to figure themselves out, especially during, it's hard for me to tell whether the package films are more excruciating to watch or whether the like dinosaur <laughs> and chicken little and treasure planet, all that, when they're trying to figure out what to do, I don't know if that was more excruciating, uh, but the latter. Okay. <laughs> we, can, we can come back to that. <laughs> we can talk about it. <laughs> Though, on your oh. ranking. <laughs> what was you that? You got it. Well, no, you have dinosaur. You have dinosaur pretty high, at least in my opinion. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what you number them, so I don't know where it is, but it's like in the top part of the lower quadrant. I've got it as is forty four is what I have in my list. So to me, it's not that high. I just I like the animation, and I think you've talked about it a lot. Like this is a tangent, obviously, but dinosaur yeah. the first ten minutes with that soaring James uh, Newton Howard score. It's such a beautiful piece of work, and then as soon as the characters open their mouths and t- start talking, it's like that meme of Timon from The Lion King. You know, when he finds out that uh, you know the two lions are friends, and he just has that. He's just deflated. It's like that for the rest of the movie, but the animation the character movements still stick out so that's the only thing that really works for me in dinosaurs so i'm sorry it's, i'm sorry it's so high there but you know, going back to tangled you know and the frog was the year before and they tried to go back to 2d animation and it didn't quite hit the way they wanted so they were still trying to figure themselves out it's just weird like they went back and thought okay well i guess what we need to do we need to do fairy tales which made us famous in the first place but let's do cg versions of it but let's tie in like a 2d look 
to the to the animation. It's and so it took them what from like 1937 to 2010 to realize, oh, we just still need to do fairy tale movies, but we just need to do them with CG instead of you know Chicken Little or whatever the crap. You know what I mean? It's like let's do what we do, but let's just adapt it to new animation. That's what Tangled does. Obviously, it has the. Mm-hmm the great character work, but the animation is again, CG gorgeous, but it still <laughs> sticks to those tried and true, the, the storytelling techniques that they've been doing from the beginning. And it's just, it's just funny when you watch all yeah. of them in a row and then you write Tangled as your last review of the project you're doing. And then you're like, this is the journey that they've taken from fairy yeah. tales to yeah. fairy tales. And it's just weird that it took treasure planet and, you know, all those home on the range and all those movies in there to figure themselves <laughs> out just to kind of go back to the drawing board, but updated with newfangled technology. Yeah, I I agree. I had a similar experience because I was just down on Disney. I was very disappointed in Princess and the Frog. And so I was like, I don't know. And the trailers for Tangled weren't great. They were kind of silly. <laughs> Yeah. And so then, so I went and took my younger sister and I was just dazzled by it. I absolutely mm. loved it. And I still love it to this day. It's my number three. I think it's, it's one of my favorite movies. If I were making, I forget where it made in my top 50 uh, movies of all time, but it was definitely on there. Well, I also uh, want to point out that relationship between Rapunzel and, and uh, I love that she calls him Eugene, first of all. Yeah, she's able to so cut cute. through that. But at the end, when you know he sacrifices and he, you know, he gets stabbed, then he cuts her hair, and you know the whole thing. Hopefully, people that are listening to this have seen Tangled. But obviously, <laughs> he dies. But there's that moment of quiet, you know, when she they both realize what they're missing because you know it's too late or whatever, and they have this 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 long moment of silence that just really hits you in the gut, and it's just. I don't know, just yeah. that they took the time to so do good. that. It's it's just so so well done on top of all the funny stuff with the, you know, the horse and everything. It's it's mm-hmm. a very human cartoon. Yeah. What what about you, Stan? What do you think about Tangled? I know we've talked oh, about I it. Oh, I adore Tangled. I have it at number ten. And I I just just as Darren was saying, I just finally feel like Disney figured out how to do a CG movie and then also make a CG fairy tale that's a Disney movie. Uh, yeah. And it's it's so good in, in every regard. You know, so funny, so emotional. Uh, as we've talked, you know, kind of hit on the, the humor so good. I really like the music. I know some people don't necessarily like the music. I, I saw uh, Alan Menken in a, do a one-man show or he's just basically, you know, sitting at a piano. I think you saw that at this so D23, Rachel, right? Yeah. I saw it. I didn't see it there. It was at another. It was at another event. But I think it was. It was probably a very similar style of show. But when he got to the tangled portion of the program, you know, he was inspired by um, Rapunzel's long hair, and he, it made him think of Joni Mitchell and kind of kind of seventies or fo- and folk music. And that oh, you really get that in the opening number, "A World of My Life" again with all the guitar and mm-hmm. whatnot that's in that and in that piece. But anyway. That's true. I, I, dig, I digress, but I, you know, I love everything about Tangled. Oh, the other other thing too, I love that scene that you're talking that you were talking about, Darren. When, um, you know, Mother Gothel's fallen out of the tower, thankfully, finally, um, <laughs> and they're just they're having that quiet moment together, and then the tear, you know, drops out and ends up healing him. But I also love the scene when when Rapunzel gets united, reunited with her parents. So that well one, done. That one just makes me ball every time, and it's so well done. You know, there's not there's not a word of dialogue, and 
it's 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 just it's it's just beautiful. They really they really ace that movie. Well, that's the kind of thing where, regardless of what the animation looks like, regardless of what format you're using, the story and the characters sell mm-hmm. that. I don't care what the animation looked like. It could look like the you know the little I don't know just some some crappy animation, some offshoot like yeah. or you know the the um, what the little bootleg things and the Chippendale, you know, that movie, those kind of things. You could have animation yeah. like that, but if the story yeah. works like, like entangled, like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what the animation is. It's just, it took people like, Oh, this is CG. I'll pay attention. It's just strange that that's, that's what they focused on. Yeah. Uh, we were just on the criterion project. We were, we just covered a, a movie called Colma, the musical. It's not animated, but they made it for $15,000 and it's so charming and great. I mean, yeah, you can, especially in the sound mix, you can, you can hear, you can tell, but it doesn't matter. At least to me, it doesn't matter if I'm enjoying the songs and the story and yeah, then, uh, then I'm the, that's what matters to me. But right. Yeah. Um, but what is your number six? Okay. Well, speaking of great storytelling, I've got the lion King. That's going to be yeah. the, uh, the highest rated newer movie on my list uh, to the chagrin of a lot of people probably, but lion King was, you know, when you're caught up, you have that, that one, two, three punch of little mermaid, then beauty and the beast, then, or four punch and then Aladdin, then lion King. When they did those little previews, like before, you know, before uh, beauty and the beast, they showed an Aladdin preview. And then before Aladdin, they showed circle of life as the preview for lion King. Yeah. And just the animation of those three, three and a half minutes of the lion King. Like you watched that in a the theater for beauty and the beast. And you thought, Oh, the next one's going to be even better than this. And I haven't even watched beauty and the beast. That's, you know, that's kind of what goes through your head when you're watching it. Just the, I love too that they it's funny because when you look at Little Mermaid, they also thought that that was going to be their second tier movie. So they yeah. focused on Oliver and Company to make that their number the, the main focus. And so when when uh, Little Mermaid comes up it makes what like 32 million more than Oliver and Company that kind of was a wake up call. It was the same thing for Lion King when they used it as their B project and they they focused all their top a- animators and their they had Mencken working on Pocahontas and they thought that was going to be their meal ticket. And then this movie comes out and it has like the mythic storytelling. It has the animals first of all, so it lets you do all these, like it lets you do Hamlet. It lets you do all these themes that are so dark for kids, but since they're done from an animal's perspective, it it's okay for kids to watch. And so they're able to tackle these giant themes. And because they're able to do it so well with the humor and with the songs, it grossed like what? 650 million more than Pocahontas did. That is wild. Yeah. yeah. Just, just because they're able to buckle down and tell a good mythic story that, and, you know, the criticism is that as soon as Mufasa dies, it kind of loses some stuff. It kind of becomes jokey joke. And that's true. I think the strongest stuff is in the beginning. And then they have like Pepper and a lot of really strong stuff toward the end, especially when Simba's talking with um, uh, Mufasa in the sky, in, in the clouds. That hits me really hard as somebody who didn't grow up with a dad. Um, or a, oh, I, yeah. I love that scene so I much. Too. I do too. Yeah. That's one oh. of my favorite scene in the movie almost. Just so I love I, remarkable. I love I love themes of forgiveness in mm-hmm. stories. That's when I'm, it almost always rings true. And so when he screams out the whole, you promised you'd always be there, it, yeah. it all gets me every time. It's so good. And I couldn't believe they didn't include that in the new version. But we won't talk about that. Um, oh. <laughs> Please, oh. it's not. <laughs> Please. What a horrible. Yeah. The, uh, yeah, I remember when, uh, when I, I, I was going out of the screening the guy was like, what did you think? I was like, uh. 
not so much didn't like it. uh he was like really yeah it wasn't great um but i love lion king i think it's great and whoever said that about it getting jokey is ridiculous you've literally yeah. just had a main character die in a horrible stampede <laughs> like you need it's you need comic relief. I mean, oh, yeah. there has to be a you know a Falstaff type character in every Shakespeare play. Like you need to, to have a break and breathe. And I don't care what anybody says. That Hakuna Matata when that came out, that was hilarious. Everyone <laughs> thought it was so funny. <laughs> well, they're getting Simba addicted to the easy life, right? He's, he has all the responsibilities, yeah. and his father's just died, and so getting caught up with Timon and Pumbaa is like, oh, this mm-hmm. is much better. But that's the whole point. He can't run from his destiny, I guess. He can't run from being yeah. part of that circle. So uh, I do think that the humor serves a certain narrative yeah. function. No, it does. The only, I guess, the only nitpick I have is as far as humor is the uh, I don't really love the I can see what's happening, and they don't have a clue. I, I wish they just. <laughs> to be a romantic song we don't need that intro. Full on. right but other than that uh, but samra what about you what's one of your favorite things about lion king well you know as as darren was talking about that lion king trailer that, that was in front of aladdin was so jaw-dropping for me and then just to see and then and then also just then you see it within the context of the film that circle yeah. of life scene is just stunning and i never tire of it Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just I have so much respect for the Lion King. I, overall, I quite like all the music that Elton John did, uh, you know, with a couple of exceptions. But like, I remember one of my friends. Anytime it was the, the I can't I just can't wait to be king scene was the one that would push her over the edge. She's just like, oh, I can't stand this. <laughs> 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 I don't necessarily feel that way because I quite like the animation. But anyway, uh, I think it's a cute song. I, I don't, I don't mind it. I mean, and be prepared is so great. Well, the way that true. they infuse like the Nazi imagery to oh, be prepared yeah. is just doing. So but again, because it's animals, you're able to get away with so much. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I mean, it's already talked about the scene when Simba is talking to Mufasa, you know, up in the sky. Uh, that's another one that I ball. It's time. so good. Yeah. So well performed, right? I have it at eight. So I'm right. I'm there with you. Okay. I have it. Sorry, I already said I have it at 21, but then again, it's not a slam. It's just like, how do I so have many, so many good movies. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I love, it's one I respect a lot. Love it. All right. So what's your number five? Okay. So again, I think it, who was it? Was it, was it Sean or was it Dave Lee that was talking about, he gets a lot of flack because he likes the older ones better than the newer ones. Okay. And again, I'm, I'm the same, like I said before, just the history of it and the way that um, Walt was pushing those limits and trying to tell stories while also pushing the, the, uh, I guess the, the goalpost of where animation could land. I'm just in awe of the, my top five just because of the, the audacity of them and the bravery of them. So number five, I've got Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Not because, you know, obviously mm-hmm. the story is a little, you know, Snow White and Prince Charming. They're a little, you know, I think you said before her voice is a little too squeaky, <laughs> stuff like that. He's not much of a character. They're more just archetypes, I guess you could say. But the way that the, it's just tried and true storytelling. It's just, let's stick to it, storytelling. Let's make sure that everything works. That's how, that's how it is. And then watching... 
again, you have to put yourself in the context of when this movie was made. You can't watch it from a 2022 perspective and think it's going to stand up to, you know, 1937 animation is going to stand up to 2022. You can't do that. It's not fair. So to me, I look at it as this is what they were trying to accomplish. And this is the animation they, and for the time, you know, from the way they're able, the witch moves and snow, they're able to do mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, uh, what is it, rotoscoping? What is it called where they just trace over the, yeah, the, the rotoscoping? I have it at 10. I love the animation. I love yeah. the whole scene where she's uh, brewing the spell and you get like this, like cool swirling, like purple and yeah. green. And uh, I love the whole scene in the forest. Uh, it's, it's really spooky and I think it works. And so, uh, yeah, I really enjoyed it. The singing is a little not my favorite, but I like the songs. <laughs> Um, so for me, it, it's a 10. I think it, it kind of does everything you want a movie to do. It makes, it has emotion. It has, it has scares. It has humor. It's kind of got a little bit of everything. And the uh, darkness too for adults, like kids yeah. will enjoy it, but there's, and there's, it's weird because there's difference in animation between the dwarves and between Snow White and the witch. But I think that's just adds to like the magic realism of it, I guess you could say, or the, mm-hmm. the fairy tale quality is like the dwarves are not quite as uh, human, but I don't think they're meant to be. Um, yeah. But it's all also well thought out. And yeah, they have scenes where animals mm-hmm. are cavorting in the forest and stuff like that. But you know, it's showing off what animation can do. And it's just, it's yeah. vibrant and it's impressive from that viewpoint. Yeah. Where do you have it, um, uh, Stanford? I'm with Darren. I have it at number five. I think yeah. it's just one of the best, best Disney movies ever. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of the one to beat it. it yeah. It's and it started it all, right? Yeah, exactly. And for me, I mean, the, the the artistically, it's absolutely stunning. I love Snow White's optimistic character, and you know, here she like, you know, that's that kind of scary scheme through the forest that you just brought up, Rage. That then she kind of gets her, you know, her her wits about her again, and she sings with a smile and a song, and you just like. <laughs> This is so amazing. You know, this is like, I mean, it's a, it's a life lesson mm-hmm. and this wonderful art and, and, you know, and her forest friends. I mean, hello. I just, I mean, any movie with it has forest friends. I love, yeah. Any <laughs> Disney movie. <laughs> because all Snow White. <laughs> anyway, this I think is All right. What is your number four? Uh, number four. I know you guys don't have it quite as high in yours, but I've got Bambi as my number four. It's, it's just so gentle. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're going to talk about dinosaur, if we're going to, I'm going to bring another movie in it from another studio. If we're going to talk about spirit, Stallion of the Cimarron, Bambi is basically, it's a coming of age story, right? It's told in like different, like fits and starts. And so he learns, mm-hmm. Bambi learns different things, but what's awesome. And what's so beautiful about Bambi is that it doesn't talk down to the kids. Like in dinosaur, obviously we talked about how the dinosaurs have to talk, like how amazing. I think the story with dinosaurs is that Paul, Paul Verhoeven of Robocop fame, he was going to do an animate. He was going to do dinosaur. He was going to animate it with Phil Tippett. And then when Jurassic Park came out, they realized that probably wasn't the way they wanted to go. But either way, imagine the dinosaur, the movie with no dialogue, with it just being purely visual. Mm -hmm. I know it'd be hard for kids to watch. And then again, skipping to Spirit, Styling the Cimarron, that's got the Matt Damon narration. But again, there are parts of it that are like, purely visual and the kid and you get it but then there are other parts where matt damon has to explain everything to you and it to me it's like come on like i get it like you're 
And what Bambi does is it does what I need my, what my brain needs it to do. It just, it says, this yeah. is what's happening. You're the mom dies, but they don't flat out say it. The dad just comes in and says, you're going to be with me now. And so it's, it's kind of like, you know, Rachel, I know that you and I love uh, Prince of Egypt and uh, hopefully Stanford loves Prince of Egypt. Oh, yeah, I haven't absolutely heard of it. Love it. Okay. Yeah. But <laughs> I remember the Prince of Egypt when they're doing the death of the firstborn and in a crowded theater, oh. looking down and seeing kids having conversations with their parents about what was happening. And to me, I thought that's what animation should really do. Don't talk down to your kids. They can get it. They can have conversations about these giant or these huge themes or adult ideas that are going on. And, and Bambi just... It has yeah. Thumper, obviously, as the comic. And there's there's no character in the Disney canon, I think, that brings me joy like Thumper brings me joy. But <laughs> even with Thumper in there, it's just a just an awe-inspiring, beautiful look at what it's like to come of age in a world that you don't understand. You don't always have people there to explain it to you. I think the movie just gets it perfectly. Yeah, it's so cute. And as far as, like, kids, I actually think that they wouldn't need the dialogue because... I remember my little siblings, when they were little, we had a whole movie that was just watching farm animals for like an hour and a half and they were riveted. Yeah. <laughs> like, no story, no. I mean, so I think if it was dinosaurs, I would, it would be <laughs> yeah, even <come> more. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There was another. They had another one where it was just watching construction, hmm. and again, they loved it. Yeah, yeah come but on. It was like it's it smarter the than that. The movie. Yeah. So jeez. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, all right, we'd like to take a second and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. It's the Hallmarkies Merch Store. Are you looking for that perfect gift for the postable, hardy, or Hallmarky in your life? What about getting that t-shirt or hoodie that will help you stand out at your next holiday party? Now is the time to check out the Hallmarkies merch store. Full of festive designs by artists like Jessica Miller, Carrie from Walmart Comics, and more. You can even have more than just shirts, but totes, cell phone cases, notebooks, mugs, and more. And it isn't just Hallmark. We have designs for Anna Green Gables, Man from Snowy River, The Nanny, and more. Every purchase at the merch store goes to help support the podcast and allows us to make the great content you know and love. There are frequent sales, so go to tpublic.com slash stores slash hallmarkies or see the link in the description. That's tpublic.com slash stores slash hallmarkies. What is your number three? I think is where we're at. Yeah, three. Okay, number three. I, I want to get your guys' person because I know that uh, Pinocchio is my number three. And... Mm -hmm. uh, you guys have said that this or Stanford at least has said that the story doesn't really work for him. What, what is it exactly about the story that doesn't work for you, Stanford? I think a lot of it, uh, Darren is, is a uh, carryover from childhood. It was just so scary. Hmm. Uh, particularly the whole, uh, the combination of pleasure Island and monster of the whale yeah. scared the absolute crap out of me when I was a kid. And, yeah. uh, and I, and I, I don't know. So there's there's that. However, you know, watching it as an adult, I, I I'm over I'm over that. You know, now at least I hope I am. But <laughs> but I just I am in absolute awe of the artistry, and so I I have Pinocchio at, still at 22, but it, I, it's one of those movies that I, I can see why why people love it, and also I think why why by many considered to be one of the finest, if not the finest animated film from you know the walt disney studios because 
of, of it's just tre- absolute tremendous yeah. artistry. I still can't necessarily get over how much I, I just don't really love. Uh, and I guess it just boils down to just like personal enjoyment, you know, okay. as far as just ranking. And that's what it kind of had to come down to. Particularly right. if it's like my, like my top 25, just yeah. like, what do I really enjoy or not enjoy? But that's, that's it. And I, and, and I admit it's, it's a bit immature and kind of shallow. <laughs> where am I, where am I coming from? Well, <laughs> well I'm being honest. 25 so yeah. because i'm the same they turning into the donkey scene is so terrifying mm. i just think that and i w- w- maybe we could talk for just a second about this trailer that released today yeah. as a recording yeah for the live action but i just can't imagine that. i i bet i don't think that we'll even have pleasure island in the movie i just oh, I can't think, imagine that I being think in a modern Rachel, because there was there's a scene where like that plank comes down off of a ship what looks like a ship I think it's a bunch of little boys going to Pleasure Island. But anyway, oh I'm just saying. I just can't imagine in live action kids turning into donkeys. That would be so terrifying. Well, if you're going to take like some images of your childhood that really scared the living crap out of you, like the, the you know, Lamprook turning into a donkey is, and it's animated. Yeah. That's what's crazy. Oh, it's it's one of the scariest scary. things. Look at and, the animation. Yeah. How good. Yeah, it's it's the animation, but it's also like he doesn't realize it. And Pino- you're looking at it from Pinocchio's perspective, like yeah. turning. And finally, when Lampwick gets it, the way that he freaks out and he screams for his mom, it's like that's horrifying yeah. because oh. you're in that situation. Yeah, the panic in his voice is just chilling. Oh, chilling. The filmmaking yeah. is that you know the music and the way that they've edited <laughs> that scene. I mean, it is just you know, get goosebumps just thinking about it. It's so scary. Yeah. Because the whole thing here is it's all subjective, right? We're all going to have different lists. So I I don't blame, I'm not going to look at your guys' list and say, oh, you've got Pinocchio at 25. I can't talk to you. It's it's not like that. Because all these movies are going to hit you in a different way. I just think like as a, as a second movie, instead of going for the princess route, he went and told oh, yeah. this story. And so it's, it's amazing. Yeah. And he, the way that they use the multi-plane cameras, I know they used it for, for Snow White, but he, they had as many as 12 layers of animation. There's a shot at the beginning when you get like a establishing shot of the town and it, it yeah. zooms in and it has birds and it goes like as, through the oh, yeah. people. And as even from, even from today, I look at that and go, that is fan. That is amazing. Yeah. That's astounding. And but, I want to go i'm sorry to interrupt you Dave, darren I, I wanted to i want to talk to the animators and learn more how they did that the, the, that underwater animation when pinocchio yeah. and the cricket are looking for monstro i mean looking for geppetto really but yeah i mean how they get i mean you're underwater yeah you know i mean not not only you're getting the bazillion bubbles you're getting kind of that distorted focus yeah i don't, know, the, I don't know how they yeah. did it Magic. Well, amazing i talked about like, how tra- uh, go ahead sorry sorry how traumatic is that scene when Pinocchio is face down in the water? Oh, <laughs> Another childhood trauma. <laughs> Obviously, I want to talk about the fairy tale aspect, but it, like talking about the water and the FX animation, like Rachel, do you, yeah. speaking of bubbles, do you feel like they're underwater doing that monstrous stuff with the effects? Oh, movies? yeah. It's phenomenal. Uh, the the monstrous scene is... it. It still holds up to this day. It's so oh, good. yeah, it's yeah. so thrilling. Right, right. As far as like the scariness goes, I think like when that's fairy tales, right? It's like you know yeah, the Little Mermaid, her dancing for the prince until her feet bleed, or Cinderella, the the sisters. What are they? They chop off pieces of their feet, you yeah. know, to fit into the. And in Pinocchio, the the the, the story. Uh, what is it? Uh, who's the guy that wrote it? Uh, Harlow Carlo Collidi, if, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. 
in the adventures of Pinocchio, Pinocchio gets mad at Jiminy Cricket and throws a hammer at him and squishes him. Like he kills him in the book. So as, as dark as the movie goes, as you know, the book goes even, I just think like there's just, and the way the kids don't turn back, you never find out that's the tantalizing scary part about, cause they're still out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> if yeah. you start smoking and drinking, you're going to turn to, I just, it's yeah. just so mythic and it's so primal, the storytelling and the animation, again, pushing those limits. It's the second movie out of mm-hmm. the gate. And it's just, I, I love Pinocchio. It's just, it's, yeah. it has everything I'm looking for. And I've grown to appreciate it a lot more the more I've watched it. And even though it's 25 in my ranking. Yeah. <laughs> I beat out a lot of other films. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've just got nothing but nothing but respect for, yeah. for Pinocchio. But what do you have and, for two? Well, let's go ahead and geek out because I've got Beauty and the Beast as my number two. <laughs> All right. I, I know that's your guys' number one. <laughs> I, I just, if you have Little Mermaid and it kind of opens your eyes, like Beauty and the Beast is the one that gouges your eyes out, like and and <laughs> sticks something and sticks forks in your ears. It's just sonically and visually, Beauty and the Beast again. It's an evolution, and it's you know, there's one more movie obviously that I think is beats it as far as animation goes, but. It just is so supple and it's so rich and the score is so, I wrote in my review, it's like the score, holy crap, the score. It's like, it's so (laughs) Broadway ready and it's beautifully done. Everything is of a piece in Beauty and the Beast. I don't think it ever makes a wrong move. And obviously, and everything that the live action remake did, I think it just took away that magic. And that's what made me so angry about the, the live action version. It's just... Yeah. It has to over-explain everything, and it has to give Gaston PTSD, and it's like, why? <laughs> why do you need to put the stuff in there? It's it's a fairy tale, and it, it suits all those little, you know, the nooks and crannies that fairy tales kind of explore. Yeah, don't even, I don't even get me started. That's all I care about. You can put Pinocchio as low as you want. Let's all agree to hate that remake. Uh, but I love Beauty and the Beast. I love the songs. I love the story. The beauty is found within. I love the fact that people can change. Uh, that uh, we uh, we shouldn't necessarily, I guess, hold a grudge. That yeah. we allow people to grow. And I love that. I I love all the side characters are are so good. Uh, and. It's just one of the great movies I think ever made. Absolutely. I totally I agree. You agree. It's, my, it's, my, it's my number one. <laughs> I, 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 I love it so, but I am so stoked about your number one, Darren. I am so stoked. <laughs> yeah, tell us your number one. Drum roll. Uh, Sleeping Beauty is my number one. Yay! Um, Yay. In my review, I start if Sleeping Beauty. If I had one movie to take on a, to, with me to a deserted island, one Disney film, it would be Sleeping Beauty. I just think, mm-hmm. and again, I'm going to talk about Fantasia for a little bit here, which I don't rank quite as high as most other people. You know, Disney was trying to push limits. You know, he was trying to make art, but also trying to tell stories. I think when he set um, Fantasia to classical music, that was a brilliant idea. My problem with Fantasia is that it's, there's no, it's animation, but there's no story to involve me. And so it constantly puts me to sleep. Every time I try to watch Fantasia, I fall asleep at least twice just because I drift off. It's, it's so long and it's so, you know, as far as story goes, I need to have a narrative involve me. 
I just think with Sleeping Beauty, first of all, he's able to take that Tchaikovsky ballet and the fact that he sets the whole movie. He doesn't write new songs. They just put lyrics to it. But he sets that Tchaikovsky score to this animation. So that accomplishes, I think, what he was trying to do with Fantasia. It's like what works about it. And then also, because I know like Beauty and the Beast is gorgeous to look at. Lion King is gorgeous. You know, Tangled is gorgeous, all these movies. But if you were to think about museums, you know how you go into a museum? Like when you watch Beauty and the Beast, you kind of absorb everything as it goes. But with Sleeping Beauty, I kind of approach it as like I would approach it at a museum. Like you see a painting, I want to stop and I want to look at every frame that it's in front of me. I want to look at the aesthetics of it. I want to look at all the thought that went into it. Every single shot in Sleeping Beauty is that to me. It's It's got a a vertical horizontal line aesthetic. Like you can look at it and see where everybody's lines and how everything is set within the frame. It's just such a gorgeous movie. And it, it does have the comic relief. It does have all like the lovey-dovey. Like, it does have the songs. It does have Maleficent, obviously, is the villainous you love to hate, all those things. But on top of that, it's art. Like I would say every frame of this thing is art. You can look at this. You can take any frame and it's just gorgeous to look at. That's the aesthetic. And I think, it's my number one because I think that's what Disney was aiming for. All the things that you read about and all the things that he wanted to accomplish. I think he accomplishes it with Sleeping Beauty. I just think it's a gorgeous Oh, I don't I don't know. I'm just I'm in mm-hmm. love with this movie. I want to drink every frame of it in. I don't know how else to explain that. Yeah, yeah I mean I do think you could literally frame every single frame of this movie. I have it at seven. I really love it. I mean I have I it just, at seven too. Yeah. yeah, I have to super nitpick the scump scene. I think goes on a little too long, but uh, but other than that, I I uh, I really love it. I love the fairies. I love uh, the music, as you said. I think Philip is a great prince. Yep. Uh, so I yeah, maybe yeah. The archetypes, right? I mean, obviously, like people kind of push back and say that uh, Briar Rose and Philip aren't really characters. And again, she doesn't talk for the last half hour; like she goes silent when she finds yeah. out what's going on. But uh, again, it's kind of, they're just pawns in this e- good versus evil like battle that's going on. It's the fairies versus Maleficent. I disagree with that about Philip. People who say that because he's like shows some spirit. He says, this isn't the 14th century, right? He has that whole debate with his dad. He has that whole scene with Maleficent where she, she chains him up and he's so, so much of our true love. And, you know, and, and I think he shows some real spirit. I, I, I disagree with people that think he's a bland prince Uh, compared to certainly compared to Snow White and Cinderella. He's way better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Good. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> Do you agree about Phillips Sanford? <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I don't really care. <laughs> Sorry. Subjectivity. I am all about the art in this movie. Yeah, yeah. It's just, I am so blown away with how, just as, just as Darren described it so well, I mean, every, any two races, I mean, every single shot is so gorgeous. I, I've had just the kind of pleasure of, of going to a couple of museum exhibits where, where they had some Ivan Earl original art on display, you know, some of his background art. Yeah. And it's so gorgeous. You just can't, you know, I mean, you can't believe it. And a, a thrill was being able to see Sleeping Beauty on the big screen. Oh. Uh, I got, they showed yes. it at, at yeah. one of the Turner Classic Movie Classic Film Festivals a few years ago. And it was like the favorite thing I saw. You know, oh. being able to see see it on the big screen, you know, which is a beautiful projection. Is 
you know, digital projection, and just, it was just stunning. I, I, I'd be, I'd, I kind of want to see it in seventy millimeter, you know, over that, oh, over they were, they were calling it uh, back in the day. Um, I would love that. Yeah, uh, the, anyway, the first movie to be released in seventy million, like just yeah. the widescreen composition. Widescreen. Are... Oh my gosh! It's just, it's just. <laughs> It's just absolutely, it's, it's gorgeous. It's, it's, it's just one of my all-time favorites. I love it. Yeah, perfect. Great. Well, I know we're, we're running over time, but let's just real quick, why don't you kind of list off and maybe give us a little bit of explanation of your bottom five. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, Stanford. <laughs> hey, it's okay. I, I think I'm the only person who likes that movie, and, I, and I'll own it. And I, well, I, I, was, I, I respect your opinion. Yeah, <laughs> rescue. I don't opinion. Well, again, I tweeted at you that Home on the Range is my rescue. I just want to tell you just a little story. When I was putting together this list, had like the grade that I gave Home on the Range put it like above certain movies that I'm like, I can't do that. Like, I can't put this movie above, like, Mulan. I can't put this movie above, you know, Frozen or uh, Alice in Wonderland. So I had to lower my ranking of Home on the Range, regardless of the grade that I gave, just because it doesn't, like, have the lasting power of a lot of other movies. But, you know, Rescuers is, I just think the animation is just, you know, they they went from the Xeroxing and they they had, like, a a step above. They were able to trace it better. So, but it's still, I'm sorry, Stan, it's it's one of the ugliest Disney movies I've seen. And I'm just because I like the Zsa Zsa Gabor and the Bob Newhart characters. I'm happy that a rescuers down under exists, so I don't have to defend the rescuers. <laughs> you know, I just think the story is a little languid and it's really slow. You know, but you know that's just it's subjective. So that's my number fifty-six. See, I think this is really funny because you said you have it at fifty-six. Yeah. Right. I have it at fifty-four. So we found someone who dislikes the rescuers more than me. <laughs> Uh, with regret, because I, I hate when I nitpick something. That somebody oh else no! I, thank you for being so kind, but no, I, 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 uh, I, I check it stand with I you, but I can't. You. <laughs> did, did you know it was? Did, did you know it was so uh, not at people's favorite? But when we before we started this podcast, Stanford. Oh no! I mean, not, <laughs> yeah. not really, but then it also aware of it now. But I'm not surprised because it's really it's in a way it's kind of an obscure movie in the canon, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, not that it's not <laughs> just, even though even though it's the, you know now Frozen has had a sequel, but well, another and Wreck It Ralph, but uh, yeah. it was the first you know animated film that had a sequel, you know, right? Dis, you know, within with the Disney yeah animation stuff. Right. So anyway, so what, <laughs> then what do you do next? <laughs> 57, I've got Treasure Planet. I just, I know there's a lot of people that like it. There's there's a, a, a movement, I guess, on Twitter where people look at a movie and think, oh, well, it's different, so automatically that makes it good. And I'm like, no, yes. it has to be good whether it's different. I know Treasure Planet tries to do a different thing. It tries to do the steampunk thing. It tries to do a sci-fi twist on Treasure Island. I just think it's so dull. Like, even the music score is dull. The characters are dull. Once you hear that they're going to do Treasure Planet in space, you're like, oh, so they're going to give, like, uh, you know, Long John Silver, Mechanical Leg, and they do that. You know, they hit all the beats that you expect them to be. There's just no surprise to Treasure Planet for me. I, I just, it doesn't work yeah. for me at all. So, but the I animation agree. I have it at okay. 44. Yeah. I have it at 40. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think I have it at the 42. It's, um, just it's, don't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's not great. Yeah. Needs more life. 
And then uh, for number 58, I know that we're all kind of in agreement on this one. I've got Chicken Little as my next uh, second or third to worst. Rough. Just the way that they're, again, Disney's trying to figure themselves out. They just, it seems to me that they thought, oh, well, DreamWorks is doing like pop culture references. We'll do that, but at Disney. And it's like, no, don't do that. Like, that's, we need a story first. And it's got humor that just isn't my humor. You know, the part where Chicken Little's trying to show the whole town where the aliens are and the mayor or something stops and goes, oh, a penny. And it's like, what what humor is this? Who is this for? Like, even the humor doesn't work for me in the movie. It's just, yeah. it's it's off putting as an experience. I think just it, it, ugh. like don't don't try to yeah. be something else. Try to be yeah. yourself. That's the problem with it. Yeah, yeah. I have it also at fifty eight. So oh, good. I have it at yeah. I have it at fifty six, which I kind of can't believe. I'm like, dude, I have it at <laughs> that high. It's because the other ones are so much worse in my mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Okay, and then for 59, I've got The Black Cauldron, which is just yeah. a languid experience as a movie. Again, I wrote in the little snippet that I, I did back in the day that the character... I don't even know what the main character's name is. I can't remember anything that happens to this. I just know that the protagonist doesn't solve anything. He has somebody come else and solve, come in and solve things for him, and I, that doesn't work for yeah. me. It's just, the, the way that they're trying to be Star Wars, they're trying to be Ralph Bakshi's Lord of the Rings, they're trying to do all these things, and they're just not as good at it because, again, did Katzenberg or whatever cut out like a whole section of it? Is that what you guys talk about? Yes. You want yeah. to see the- want to see the pre-Katzenberg cut. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if the next half hour is going to help the animation or the stupid I don't think so either. Morbid curiosity. <laughs> I have it at 55, so I'm right there okay. with you. Yeah, it's see, too and I, bad. Have, I have it at 60. It's, it, I, it's, it's the worst for me. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Home in the Range moved up? Stanford for you? <laughs> Um, no, I I have home in the I have home in the I have home in the range at like uh, fifty eight I think. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I've got to double check, but yeah, I have it at sixty. Yeah, Ra- it's just on the bottom for Rachel. I know that for sure. Yeah. <laughs> just because I I don't think either I don't think two ways about it. I think it's just harmless, and so I watched it and was like, yeah, whatever. And then I haven't thought about it since. But it's just funny seeing. People like bring it up again and again. It's one of the worst. Yeah. So maybe I need to watch it again. I, I have it at fifty nine, and I okay. think yeah. I think too. Well, a big thing about it, Darren. I think probably, and I don't want to necessarily speak for you, Rachel, but I know we've talked about this. In that, you know, Disney was touting this is this was like their final hand drawn animated movie, yeah. and mm-hmm. and and so like like that should make it maybe kind of special. <laughs> but instead, it's just drag, and you yeah. just think, well, this is the movie that killed hand-drawn animation in disney in a way you know this is how they yeah. went out yeah yeah <laughs> okay so and what do you have last my absolute worst it's the only movie in the entire canon that i gave an f and i've already mentioned it it's oliver and company i can't think of another disney movie that i've watched that i wanted to take a shower after watching it this <laughs> movie it looks so dirty and it, it's you know, that the characters, like the main girl gets kidnapped and she's held for ransom and the heroes are stealing yeah. from people. And then the, the at the climax on the subway, the bad guy and his dogs get electrocuted to death on the subway tracks. The whole movie, and again, Rachel, we just talked about this on Twitter. Like some of the songs <laughs> are fine, but if you put them together, it doesn't work the same way that Beauty and the Beast songs work together. It's just imagine if, be, and because they had different writers, right? I like, yeah. I do like, like you do, Rachel. I do like that they had different singers come in. It felt like a like a talent show, not a talent show, but like a you know, just like a, a show, that, a 
sound check, right? But the quality of the songs, the quality of how they sound, just imagine because um, Alan Menken and Glenn Slater wrote, wrote the lyrics for Tangled, but they also wrote the lyrics for Home on the Range. Just imagine if there was a tank, if they had Tangled, but they all they ported in every now and then a song from Home on the Range and stuck it into Tangled. It would have the same effect for me if they don't work as a whole, the way that Beauty and the Beast or Aladdin works, how they all sound like they're relatively from the same mind. So even the songs don't work for me. The, just the whole movie is just dirty and it just, it gives me such a yucky feeling. And mm-hmm. the fact that it came out the year before Little Mermaid is mind boggling to me. Yeah. The uptick yeah. in quality <laughs> is yeah. astounding. I have it at 48. I I don't really enjoy it. I do, I guess, give it a tiny, tiny bump because I do like Once Upon a Time in New York City, which was the first Ashman Mankin song right. that they ever did for Disney. I do like that. And uh, I also like Why Should uh, Why Should I Worry? Uh, that one's, that's a fun sequence. I, I also, it, there are not very many Disney movies that are set in metropolitan areas. Usually if they do, it's kind of a fantasy type of San Francisco or that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a little bit of London and 101 Dalmatians. It's, I do kind of like that New York is a character in this movie, but I I really hate what they did with Fagin. I really don't like, it's not Penny. Jenny, Jen- I think. Jenny, yeah. Jenny. I don't Jenny. Like <laughs> <laughs> um, so forty-eight is where I got for me, but I get it. It's not a strong film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming and talking with us. This was a blast. That's it's so fun fantastic. Okay. This Again, this is love, like I said, love your ranking. Yeah, I've got like. Um, I've got like a bucket list of podcasts that I want to show up on and just Rachel, like your, any one of your podcasts, even the sex in the city one, like it would be a dream just being able to jump on and chat with you about that. And you know, talking with Stan, it's just, it's a dream. And again, as much as Disney means to me, being able to come on here, it's, I'm not the type to, you know, try and like audition or try to get myself. I know that uh, whenever you comment on Disney stuff, I've, I've posted like um, links to these. And so finally you noticed, (laughs) You're like, oh yeah, you have that right. And I'm like, finally, like finally she got it. Like, <laughs> so that was kind of my audition. So I'm glad that. Uh, well, well, we so. will definitely get you on, on a Hallmarkies one of these days as well. Cause uh, we've had a blast. I've had a blast. And yeah. um, Stanford, where can people find you? On Twitter. I'm at Stanford Clark. And then I have a movie podcast and blog at moviespastandpresent.com. Mm-hmm. Great. And where uh, can Darren, can they find you on social media and also your podcast? I am just on Twitter. I'm not on Facebook or anywhere else. You can find me at DW Lundberg. Again, you'll find Nostalgia Cast. You'll get a picture of my my uh, son with a Batman beanie on his head. Uh, or no, no, what we do? I changed that. It's now Kevin Costner. So never mind. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm right. looking at the picture Kevin of my son. It's Kevin Costner from Field of Dreams, which is my favorite movie. So that will mark me. And then again, you can find Nostalgia Cast mm-hmm. at Libsyn. Or I have a link tree and on my Twitter account. So just click on that and listen to the podcast wherever you want. We're taking a break right now. I think we just released our 
60th episode on the parent trap from 1998 with natasha alvar uh rachel a mutual friend of ours Mm. and so being able to chat with her was another dream and so go there and again we're gonna do uh, the swan princess next uh, with uh molly raspberry and so that'll be out in the next couple of weeks if you want to listen to us on apple or on stitcher or you know anywhere you listen to podcasts you'll find us there here's a little piece of trivia the very first podcast that stanford and i ever did together was on field of dreams field of dreams oh, you <laughs> got it. i adore that movie oh good that we can we can be friends activity <laughs> <laughs> is fine but if you don't like field of dreams you can just get it <laughs> the rescuers is one thing <laughs> do you ever watch and there's a really funny episode of how i met your mother where robin admits that she doesn't like field of dreams and like marshall and barney are like horrified yeah that's why i stopped watching the show actually i couldn't <laughs> anyway, uh, you can find me at rachel's reviews all of our social media itunes youtube and on ron tomatoes so check that out also make sure you're following us at disney talking on twitter and uh, please leave your comments and uh and let us know what you think of all the things we talked about. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And uh, p- please, if you were listening on iTunes, please leave your ratings and reviews. That helps us so much. And uh, if you are listening on YouTube, please give the video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. We appreciate that so much. And uh, check out the Patreon We have ha- uh, and the merch store. We have hashtag Animation Junkie shirts. Please take a look at that. And thanks so much, Darren, again. And we'll talk to you all later. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>